Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm volatile, baby. And I am the Nashane Villian. Welcome to episode 177, Starcade 1995, the World Cup of Wrestling. USA's toughest, meet Japan's best in this international wrestling showdown. Ooh. What yeah. are we going to get, guys? Uh, I mean, it's, I was immediately hyped. Because I don't think... I don't remember if you told me this was going to be a tournament show. I purposely did not tell you. I that. appreciate you doing As that. As you were saying that, I'm like, I don't remember if you did or not. Yeah, I, I was like... You say that. Sometimes I, you let I, us I, in. I literally the... thought about telling you, that, but then I was like... He'll be he'll be so happy to I'm just gonna, not know. I'm just going to leave it alone. Let you find out on your own. When I clicked the Peacock app opened and clicked on Starcade 1995, what I do is I find the show, and I open uh, Wikipedia just to uh, get the, you know, it's where was the show, tagline, how many people were there, and go back over to Peacock and hit play, and when I saw that it was a World Cup of Wrestling, I did one of these. So when you pull the elbow down, you go, yes. I mean, I had a similar, but mine was more of a... Uh, no, I was excited. I mean, it could it could be really good, or they I mean, could just be really bad. They did, they, did a, <laughs> they did do a tag tournament with different countries at one that point. That sucked yeah. mad butt. You know when that took place? Wasn't that a Starcade? It was a Starcade. Yeah. yeah, but this is single matches. These are guys from New Japan, and I love a one-night tournament. So I had... Even, this, even a mediocre uh, one-night tournament is better than a lot of WCW shows. And, spoiler alert, <laughs> Hogan's not here. Hogan's not here. So the show automatically gets a fucking bump. So this was the 13th annual Starcade produced by WCW. It would take place on December 27th, 1995, from the Nashville Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. With an attendance of 8,200 people. Hmm. Hey, it was more than in your house. That's right. <laughs> <Just> barely. <laughs> I mean, 8,000 without Hogan being there is pretty good, I think. Oh, yeah. That, that's very true. Very true. Very true. But, so uh, we've seen some dismal, dismal what a day houses. It is when there's no Hogan. I know. <sighs> no Hogan, and we subbed him out for about five Japanese men. Maybe like seven. Yeah. How? It doesn't. Would it, they could have subbed him out for just one guy that I like, and it'd be cool. But uh, a whole gang of them? Oh, we're in Nashville. We are. So what did Shane bring us on our trip around the world? Well, you know, we're in Nashville. We, we have a, a Hogan-free show, so let's cheers. Yeah. Woo! Yep. No, there, yeah, there's no hot dog water in these glasses. No. What we have here, you know I love my mules. This is a, a Tennessee mule, which is a very, very simple drink. Matt was sitting here trying to figure it. Did you figure it out? 
I was kind of wondering if it was ginger beer. Yep. And pretty simple. It's two ounces of Jack Daniels number seven. It's topped with ginger beer. I can't remember the brand that I've used. Q. This one before. It's Q. Q. Yeah, that's right. It's a good ass ginger beer. I yes. like that stuff. Then each one has like a, a half a lime squeezed into it with a little garnish of a, a lime wheel. Stirred with a little mm-hmm. Mickey Mouse shaped bar stir. It's spicy and limey and whiskey. Yeah, it's. It's been a while since I've had a whiskey. It was pretty tasty. It was, was kind of kicking the back of my throat. Oh, yeah, I got a little bit of an itch, too. I haven't drank a whiskey in a long time either. That was my drink of choice when I was younger and drank liquor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> whiskey was like mean, whiskey or I LITs. used to drink whiskey all the time, and then I, I've really gotten into mules lately and. I haven't been drinking whiskey as much. See, so you now get, you got the hybrid. Anything's a mule if you had uh, if you had uh, ginger, ginger beer. Yeah. Ginger beer. That's why when I was making this, I'm like, I can't remember if I made this one before or not. But I mean, it would work. It would play into it if I did because I was sitting here saying the same thing with the names of. We've seen all these guys before. I think I've used all these names before, so it's hard to turn a. Uh, a different name into a Shane when it's already. Hey, what happened. are they? What are the people going to do? Complain? This show's free. There's no ads. We come out on time every week. I know about it. <laughs> this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, cut to um, like nicotine gum or like uh, dick hardening pills or uh, uh, what's a meal kit. You know what'll get you hard? <laughs> Best this sh- fiends. This show, this sh- but some blue chew as well. <laughs> yeah. Worst, worst read of that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I totally. Oh, blue chew's got tons of money. If. If they throw money our Hello way, fresh, so we can get on Patreon. Uh, what we'll, is it? What is the we'll, one we'll for shaving take, your balls? Manscaped. Manscaped. Freshly? We'll take all your money. Yeah. Exactly. Just contact us. Kratom. Give me some. Give me like a. We'll start slinging kratom. Other podcasts. <laughs> if you want us to talk you up, we listen to different ones. Crime Weekly. If you're listening, <laughs> I don't know what that is. That sounds. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds popular. Yeah. See. Boom. Back to back. Derek Lavoisier. These sound Sorry, like, these sound like big, big boy podcasts. Yeah, big brother. Oh, big brother <laughs> podcasts. We probably need them to talk us up more than they need us to talk them up. Hey, if we can be paid to say their advertisements, it's okay. I mean, we just did one for them for free, kind of. Exactly. Yeah. We'll tag them in it when this comes up. Hey, hey, don't we? We do this for uh, for the camaraderie. But I mean, if you're listening, Derek, Cody, Tiffany, love you. Stephanie, love you too. Sorry, I forgot I said Crime Weekly in there also. So. And she was on the, the the winner's circle. That's right. All right, anywho. See, these uh, Tennessee <laughs> drinks are working. These drinks are already working because hey, we're hey, just hey. rambling about whatever. Hey, is this like Tennessee talk? I mean, on the plus side, uh, this show will have wrestling on it. I hope so. It will, definitely. We've, uh, hope it's we've seen some shows wrestling. where we're like, was that even a wrestling show? So I kind of had to scrape the bottom of the barrel this week for... Uh, yeah, I saw for some, that. For something to happen at the same time. Uh-huh. I mean, it's the end of the year, guys. Like, yeah. Nothing ever happens at the end of the year. No. And unless there's like some news atrocity, but we try Surprise, to keep it light Guys, it's four days before New Year's. But one of our greatest actors of our current day and age. <laughs> I, would, I would say at least one of our most paid at the moment. But Timothy Chalamet was born the same day as Starcade 95. Ooh. Uh, I like the... The Come Peach movie. The what? Call, Call me, me by, by your name. Call me by your name. Oh, oh I like. See, it. I still have never watched that. Oh, one. it's great. It's a great I movie. I think he would like it. It's I great. mean, I figure I would. I just I always forget about it. It's the only one I've seen him in that I really was like, oh, that's a really great movie. 
You didn't like French Dispatch? No, I did not. And I like Wes Anderson movies. That's probably one of my least Wes Anderson it's, movies, too. I would say it's my least favorite of his, I right like up next to I Love Dogs. I like Lady Bird. Oh, yeah, he's good in Lady Bird. That's I like Lady Bird. I like nice. Little Women. Little Women's good, too, but so I don't I even think about him being in the movie. Little Women's... And then I love I watched, Dune. Honestly, I, I, I watched Dune, Dune but it was... Uh, I think that Dune, it's like... Like really once, well made, but once Dune Two comes out, then maybe I'll feel better about it. You'll have an opinion. Yeah, he's actually the young Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar too. Just oh really? Just so you know that. That's cool. So I don't know. Be the young Wonka. The or not, not the young Matthew McConaughey. The young Casey Affleck. Oh, uh, ah, okay. Did Casey get canceled officially? Nah, who knows? <laughs> Whatever. What do I know? Manchester by the Sea. That's a tearjerker. If I've ever seen one. <laughs> That movie hasn't pulled tears out of you. I don't know what will. But, you know, like you said, we scraped the bottom of the barrel. The guy's been in some good movies. Uh, yeah. Don't look up. It was good. It was nominated for Best Picture last year. I enjoyed it. I have not watched Don't Look Up yet. Really? No. We'll, we'll, we'll do a quick... Uh, it's got a fun take. Yeah. My, my uh, recommendation for uh, a Timmy C movie would be Call Me By Your Name. If I had to... If, like, if I'm picking, that's my favorite of the movies I've seen him in. I mean, mine would be Dune, but uh, yeah. um, I mean, I'm kind of with Shane on that. Couple like, I need things, to see Dune too. So... I don't. It made me want to see Dune too. Yeah, I think the movie looks Which really great. I, th- I think is if a movie can do that, then I think it's a, a successful yeah. movie. I think it Dune, makes me yeah. want to see the next one. Dune was really impressive. I just couldn't. It was a really impressive thing, and they told the story really well without it being confusing, which is I probably agree. the biggest feat. Absolutely. For that story, but at the same time, like I didn't find it compelling, uh, like just generally compelling, like emotionally compelling. It looks great, and I like old Denny Villanueva or whatever his name is. Denny Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Huge fan of that dude. Added an A at the end, but hey. I would also suggest Little Women. I I know he's not a huge part of the movie because it's more about the. The women. Yeah, the, you watch that movie because uh, Florence Pugh fucking always knocks the house down. Exactly, but that movie was much better than it deserved to be. Yeah, I didn't expect a whole lot, and then I was like, "Damn, that was good." I mean, I liked him in Lady Bird, but I liked. I mean, that whole movie was great. Yeah, I love... look up. I think maybe a little more than Lady Bird, just because really? it's one of those the world is coming to an end movies during a time where the world just sucked and it just had kind of a. A fun, or not fun, but funny somewhat, but then maybe this could actually happen type outlook. It was a little tongue-in-cheek. Yes. Adam McKay doing what Adam McKay does. Yep. Well, let's talk some Starcade. Shall we? We see flags of different countries from around the world shown with narration. As countries across the world compete for global dominance... WCW has accepted the challenge from New Japan Pro Wrestling in a best-of-seven battle for the World Cup of Wrestling. What the hell? And I'm hyped. We see a list of all the matches that are going to be that are going to be happening, and Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the granddaddy of them all before in- introducing his commentators for the evening, Bobby the Brain Heenan and Dusty Rhodes. <sighs> I popped for Dusty. Oh, Dusty. They comment on the Best of Seven series before talking about our triangle match. That'll happen later in the evening as well. And you might remember from the last pay-per-view 
that the reason for this collab was that Heenan had tried to sell part of WCW Pro to Sonny Ono. That's right. And New Japan Pro Wrestling. But the WCW Board of Directors had stepped in as the brain had no authority to do so. But they would go on to create a compromise and would feature New Japan at one of their biggest shows of the entire year. And that's why we get this. Yeah. So we're doing a, a best of seven. Whoever wins, the, whoever, whatever uh, promotion wins the most matches yep. is kind of the idea here. Winner take all. Yeah, Dusty informs us that the magnitude of Starcade is imaginable. <laughs> I love his terrible understanding of uh, words. The magnitude is imaginable, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so we go to our first match. Chris Benoit versus Juicin Thunder Liger with Sonny Ono in a World Cup matchup. Well, hey there. I love the new stage setup, too. We got the lights, like a big like triangle everybody's walking out of. It looks yeah. good. So the two men trade holds and takedowns until a Liger dropkick and baseball slide send Chris out to the floor, followed by a somersault plancha off the apron. Back in the ring, they go into a test of strength, only for Juicin to escape with a head scissors and a kapoo kick. But Benoit answers with a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker for a two-count. Chris goes for a powerbomb, only for Liger to counter into an arm drag takedown, followed by a belly-to-belly suplex and a drop kick that sends Benoit out to the floor. Okay, and there's somewhere around here that I just have to say, what the fuck, Nashville? Because I was hearing boos. I mean, they're the Liger. foreign heels. I don't care. This is Liger. I know. He's not a foreign heel. Look at him. He's he looks great. fucking Thunder Liger. Yeah, they're yelling like, go home and Never stuff. Never had a heel moment in his life, I don't think. No, well, that's he, not true. That's not true. He, he, has, he has been a heel. Yeah, but his heel <laughs> moments are pretty epic. Yeah. <laughs> Damn near Ricky Steamboat babyface level. Yeah. Jushin looks to go flying through the ropes, but realizes that Chris has moved. So he stops in time. Before holding the ropes for Benoit to get back into the ring. Cheeky. Once back in, Chris gains the advantage with a snap suplex, a back suplex, and a clothesline before locking on a lion tamer until he releases it to get a near fall. Chops, headbutts, and a bridging German by Benoit for a two count. When Liger takes down Chris to apply the Romero special and a camel clutch, only for Benoit to escape with an electric chair drop. Chris then goes for a back suplex, only for Jushin to counter to land on top for a near fall, followed by Benoit going for a tombstone pile driver, which Liger reverses as well, before going up top where Chris meets him to bring him down with a superplex. Benoit heads up top for a flying headbutt, only for Jushin to avoid and take advantage with a powerbomb and a brainbuster for a two count. Liger's whip attempt is reversed, allowing Chris to deliver a clothesline and a pair of rolling German suplexes before hitting a powerbomb as well. Benoit heads up top again, coming off with the flying headbutt when Kevin Sullivan has run down to the ring to distract Chris. And Jushin takes advantage, nailing a bad-looking Hurakarana for the pin and the win. So New Japan Pro Wrestling leads the series... One to nothing. Uh-oh. And old Kevin Sullivan. So it begins, huh? Yeah, it's funny that, like, 
here in WCW, this is like the first match on Starcade, but in like Japan, this would not be it's the like first the main match. event. <laughs> yeah, this could be the main event and has been a main event. But hey, if you're going to start, you might as well start strong with uh, two guys that know how to work with each other. Absolutely. Yep. We go to the back Mean Jeans there with Eddie Guerrero. And Eddie doesn't like the finish of the previous match, saying Sullivan should keep his nose out of Benoit's business. Noakland asks Guerrero to size up his matchup, responding that it's an honor to represent WCW, and he has to be on top of his game. All of a sudden, someone opens the door behind them in the middle, but it closes it once they realize that, <laughs> that, they're, shooting in that they're shooting a promo. Eddie is like nervous and uh, not quite the promo that he will become. Uh, <laughs> is, is is like oh agree. He is yes. he's shaking in his boots. It's very it's very it was very weird to see him like that nervous and unconvinced of the words that he was saying. Yeah, I guess live in front of millions. He hasn't really had to do that much probably in the past. I'm guessing. New Japan back in the day. It might have been because he was much. doing it in English, because he's probably no, only done. Be he's too. probably only done that. it in in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. Down in Mexico, so maybe yeah. maybe that's why. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, his, it, was I mean, his young, English was great. I mean, yeah, he's a young guy. I don't know how like, he was born yeah. in El Paso. So I'm like, yeah, I'm sure he spoke. Yeah, he probably probably very well versed in both. But but we go to our second match: Koji Kanemoto with Sonny Ono versus Alex Wright. In a World Cup matchup. Das Wunderkind. So Koji, at the time, was the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. And the last time we saw Kanemoto and Alex was at Best of the Super Juniors, number two, back in episode 157. So these two men start trading holds until Koji begins to work the leg of right. Only for Alex to answer with uppercuts, a head scissors, and a dropkick before a crossbody sends them both over the ropes. And we get our USA chance for the guy billed from Germany. Germany. Yeah. Come on, guys. Use your brain. Just do a WCW chant. It's Smart. WCW versus New Japan. So chant WCW. Come on, Tennessee. Or or just, I don't know. Yeah, but USA chant. It's just too easy, right? Yeah. It's, it's a, it sounds good, but it's, it's pretty funny. Like USA, three-letter chant. Mm-hmm. Alex Wright, same, same <laughs> syllables. Yeah, but most of these people probably don't remember this guy. <laughs> so our commentators would start talking about Hogan at this point, saying he wasn't there. And so the story about that is that after World War III, they had aired the footage of the end of the match on the next night's Nitro. But someone had tampered with the tape. Uh-oh. So Savage got to keep the title. The Dungeon of Doom would then continue to attack Hogan and Macho when the Hulkster would go ballistic, using chairs on everybody, including WCW officials. So Hogan would be suspended till the end of the year. Or as we like to say, he went to do some filming. Oh, okay. I was going to say either that or it was Christmas break. Is it the new season of Thunder? Maybe it was a Thunder in Paradise movie. I think it's a movie, but I, th- I think it's like Mr. Nanny or something Probably like Mr. Nanny, yeah. Or, or maybe it was... Uh, Santa with muscles. Th- th- thunder in Paradise on Ice. Could be. Thunder in Paradise after dark. Because <laughs> he was literally at... He was suspended on the Nitro before the show, which was 
like literally like three days earlier. So he's literally gone for an entire week. Ooh, that's how long he was suspended for. Yeah, end of the year. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like oh well. We we don't next Tuesday, Terry. We don't have to have him mucking up a starcade. So I'm happy to see it. Yeah. Back to the match, and Wright climbs into the ring, drop kicking Kanemoto again as he reached the apron, followed by a tope suicida as well. Back in the ring, the two men are working headlocks until Koji starts delivering stiff kicks before sending Alex out to the floor with a drop kick, following out with a slingshot plancha. Kanemoto looks to whip right, but it's reversed, sending Koji into the guardrail, allowing Alex to get back into the ring where he attempts to bring Kanemoto in the hard way, only for Koji to float over and nail a tiger suplex for a two count. Uh, you know, that's a that's a way to try to put a man away. Bobby Heenan uh, at one point lets us know that while the Japanese wrestlers have been here, some of them have been wrestling in the Smoky Mountains. And uh, Tony Schiavone says, no one wrestles in the Smoky Mountains. <laughs> There's no corny in WCW. <laughs> but I just thought it was really funny that Tony was like, no, nobody wrestles in the Smoky Mountains. <laughs> just, you know, cutting. Cut uh, There's only two promotions in this country. Kanemoto hits a body slam and a top rope moonsault, but he decides he hasn't delivered enough punishment, so Koji goes back to the stiff kicks. Kanemoto then sends Wright to a corner, where he leaps up and over a charging Koji, before nailing a bridging German, a leg lariat, a running back elbow, and a slingshot splash for a near fall. Damn. Alex heads up top, coming off with a drop kick, but Kanemoto meets him mid-air, with a drop kick of his own for a double KO. You love to see it. I mean, they warned us uh, earlier that Kanemoto's got a bit of a temper. Back to their feet, Wright is whipped to a corner, but he leaps off with a crossbody for a two count, followed by a suplex attempt, only for Koji to elbow his way free. Kanemoto then hits a second rope corkscrew senton for a near fall, goes up top again for a crossbody, only for Alex to meet him mid-air with a drop kick. Toe-to-toe, brother. Wright then takes advantage, coming off the top with a missile drop kick before setting Koji on the turnbuckles for a superplex for a two-count. Alex's whip is reversed, so he tries to leap up and over a charging Kanemoto, but he's caught and dropped with a snake eyes before being rolled up in a jockknife for the pin and the win. So New Japan's up two to zero. Alex whipped when he should have nay nayed. <laughs> never, never whip when you should have nayed. <laughs> Avoid it at all costs. So the commentators are talking about WCW being down two to nothing, with Dusty comparing it to the World Series, but says that WCW has some big cannons still to come. Mean Gene then plugs the hotline, saying Mark Madden will have the scoop on someone being offered lots of money. Mm-hmm. Okerlund then brings in Sonny Ono, who starts laughing about New Japan's lead and threatens to buy WCW if they win. Maybe even buy Iowa. Iowa, huh? <laughs> sounds like Bobby wrote that line for him. That sounds like a Bobby Ian line. Like, or did he forget he was in Tennessee? Uh, I think maybe he couldn't <laughs> afford Tennessee, but he could probably afford Iowa. <laughs> Mean Gene says WCW isn't for sale, but Iowa might be possible. 
<laughs> you know, you Japanese people should know. Ouch. <laughs> Meme cheese, <laughs> sir. It's like that thing on Community that they made for Chevy Chase's character. The old white guy says on Twitter. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sonny then claims they have friends in the Dungeon of Doom, with Oakland asking if he paid someone off. But Ono feigns confusion to avoid the question. That leads us to our third match: Masahiro Chono with Sonny Ono, versus Lex Luger with Jimmy Hart in a World Cup matchup. And the last time we saw Masahiro was at Collision in Korea, episode 161. Lex uses headlocks and shoulder blocks early on before a press slam, but Chono answers with forearms and kicks to send Luger to the floor to regroup. Lex asks for a test of strength. Bum, bum, bum. Only for it to be a ruse as he cheap shots and rams Masahiro into multiple corners. I couldn't believe how big of a pop Lex Luger got. It was like the biggest pop I've seen him get in a long time. Probably also helps that WCW's down two matches at this point, but I was just kind of taken aback at the... the He's facing a foreign heel. Yeah, but I know, but it's just like you haven't heard any... Like Lex has just kind of been Lex. Yeah, he, yeah, he hasn't been. He hasn't been uh, presented as much of anything for Wasn't quite a while. He, like trying to murder Savage, like on the last pay per view. Yes. And I mean, he made him pass out. Yeah. Team USA. Woo! All the way, baby. I mean, I get it. Yes. Yeah. You gotta. He was gonna get a picker pop for that four and heel. I still was just like ah. Luger goes for a suplex, only for Chono to reverse followed by knees, chokes, and kicks to gain the advantage. Masahiro locks on a sleeper, drops him with a reverse DDT before applying the STF. Lex slowly crawls his way to the ropes to break the hold. So Chono stays on the attack with forearms, an atomic drop, and a Yakuza kick. Yeah, I love that he like, looks like he's going to go to the top rope and then he changes his mind and just hits the rope, hits that Yakuza kick that we all know and love. Dusty Rhodes calls it a mafia kick because the Yakuza is No, Dusty doesn't, Dusty doesn't understand move names. He just says, it's just a kick to the head. <laughs> just call it a kick to the head. That's it doesn't Dusty. matter what kind of kick it is. Yeah. It's just a kick to the head. It's Masahiro. it's Masahiro Chono's Yakuza kick. It doesn't look like other kicks. That's why we like it. It looks mean. It's like a it's like a push. Masahiro goes up top, coming off with a double axe handle, but Luger <clears throat> with a back elbow to the throat on his way down, allowing Lex to put Chono into the torture rack for the submission and, and no win. win. And w- WCW's picked up a win, but they're still down two to one. I don't like that Luger beat Chono there. Yeah, but I get it. But yeah. I don't like it. I, I felt the same way. I was like, oh, are they going to go three? And then I was like, well, the reason that Koji won was because they weren't, New Japan wasn't going to let him. He was also the champion. He was a champion, so New Japan wasn't going to let him get pinned. So I yeah. knew when they said that he wasn't going to get pinned. Like, I'm sure WCW doesn't care, but New Japan cares. They're not going to be like, oh, you, can pin, you can't pin our junior heavyweight champion. Maz Chono, sure. <laughs> but he doesn't have a belt right now. It's okay. Yeah. I'm surprised. Actually, I was surprised Ben Walton. 
Benoit didn't pin Liger. Yeah, that's what I originally thought too, but it's like these guys. Because that would have made more sense. Yeah. We go to the back. Mean Gene's there with Sting, and they're saying it's good news that WCW finally got a win. With Sting saying Johnny V. Bad is going to get the next one as well. Ogerlin brings up Suzaki beating Sting in Japan for the U.S. title, which just annoys the steer. Yeah, that's not up for tonight. Mean Gene then mentions the triangle match, and Sting knows the inevitable Luger question is coming. So he says that he is friends with Lex, and he's trying to repair the relationship with Macho. But it got edgy. Which I don't really know what that means, but... I mean, Macho is uh, always uh, on edge. Yeah. (laughs) Bouncing off the walls and Mm -hmm. doesn't want to talk about it. And the Stinger then finishes up by saying he will never forgive Flair. I thought it was one of the better Sting promos, considering he's not a very good promo. I thought this one was a little more fired up and he didn't stumble. I thought it was, like, in the pantheon of, if you could use that word, of Sting promos. I thought this was one of maybe his better outings. So we go to our fourth match, Johnny B. Bad, with Kimberly. Versus Masa Saito with Sonny Ono in a World Cup matchup. And the last time we saw Masa was at WCW New Japan Super Show 3, all the way back in episode 83. Damn. It's been a while for this, uh, you know, tree trunk of a man. Something different here, though. Got a happy Kimberly. She's she's being a cheerleader basically. Yeah, here. she's doing uh, cartwheels, like flips, and shit. And has got matching gear with Johnny B. Bad, like the I mean, black and silver. It's causing Bobby and Tony to lose their train of thought. Yeah, I mean she's a good-looking gal. Uh, she's even got a blaster of her own. But Sonny Ono grabs a mic, telling Kim she should be at home doing dishes. So she grabs it away, telling him it's not a Japanese bathhouse, and she's no geisha girl. <laughs> Before also insulting his manhood, <laughs> it's like, wait, Sonny, this is Johnny B. Bad. Uh, like he's your, he's acting like he's Diamond Dallas Page over here. She just got out of that kind of relationship. So match gets going with Saito taking Johnny down to the mat to begin, wearing him down with chin locks. But Bad makes it back to his feet to exchange chops, which grow in intensity until Masa lands one in the throat. Saito keeps up the attack, even allowing Ono to choke with his flag, before delivering a Saito suplex. More choking and sunny interference before Johnny responds with a knee lift and a flying axe handle, followed by going up top for a flying sunset flip for a two count. And I love that the, like, Tony and Dusty at times, but mostly Tony, is doing a, a good job. Somebody gave him good notes for putting over... The Japanese wrestlers. Better than we've seen it ever done on WWF. I mean, one and, of Dusty's last matches was in a match with Masa Saito. Yeah, that, he's, he's at like, that yeah. super show. Yeah, and he talks about how the, you know, Masa Saito's, he's uh, no flips, all, all business. Yep. So Bad continues the punishment with rights and lefts, a snap suplex, when Sonny jumps on the apron. And Johnny grabs Ono, allowing Masa to attack from behind with a double axe handle followed by dumping him over the ropes for a disqualification. Dun, dun, dun. So we're all tied up at two. How convenient. So, so wait a second. 
It's just we couldn't have. We, we can't pin an older uh, Masa Saito, but we can pin a Masahiro Chono. I literally just I was like, mm-hmm. why didn't they just flip the finishes of these two matches? It would have. It would have made more sense. Yeah, or like, had you, Luger Luger can still win against Chono. Or Luger can but have, Luger gets or, dumped over yeah, the ropes. Or Luger can have his match with Saito and Johnny B. Bad can get pinned by Chono if they don't want Luger to take the pin. Either way is fine. I mean, that's not a bad idea either. Yeah, either one works totally fine. Yeah. Uh, and they're both viable options. All four guys are there. All four guys can do this. I know people like I mean, talk shit on Johnny B. Bad, but I'm a Johnny we've B. Bad. Solved, we've solved this problem two different ways. I know. In I didn't even think about it before. Like I don't. It's not in my notes. I just as soon as you said the finish, I was like, "Oh, click." Yep. Yep. That would make so much more sense. And we don't. Nobody gets mad about the DQ because you could have. Chono doesn't need pinned bad. It's wrong. Yeah, it's true. Could have pinned bad or Lex. I assume they'd rather pin bad. I mean, bad was a champion though. That's good. That is a good point. That's right. But they could, but he could also get pinned on a like Sonny Ono's there, so you could have some kind of tease, tease roll up finish or whatever, you know, interference roll up finish. I mean, would I guess it probably would have made more sense for Bad to have actually pinned Saito, and but the finish of this been in the Chono Lex match that probably would have solved that problem as well with yeah. the champion. Yeah. So either way, it's. Better if we could not have a DQ by top rope. I mean, that's what I would want most. That would have best been best because the top rope is dumb. Yeah, yeah because it's not consistent. Exactly. I'm fine with it being consistent, but it's it's not. At so, this point, yeah. it's definitely not consistent. Yeah, it hasn't been for years. Post match, Saito threatens Kimberly, only for Bad to stop him with right hands and drop kicks to send Masa out to the floor. Johnny then flies over the ropes with a bad day, a somersault plancha, that grazes Saito and Sonny, but sends them running to the back. He's a bad man. He's so pretty. Our commentators then are discussing the World Cup standings, and the brain seems to be rooting for a New Japan win, with Shivani and Dusty disgusted at this, even going as far as Rhodes implying they should hang him. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> a little much. But Tony tries to distract us from that thought by giving us an ad for Super Brawl 6. Before being sent backstage with Mean Gene, Jimmy Hart, and Lex Luger. Okerlund asks about Kevin Sullivan, with Jimmy saying he interfered because he has a short fuse, causing Mean Gene to make a dirty joke. <laughs> Okerlund then turns his attention to the triangle match where Lex claims that he, Sting, and Flair are synonymous with superiority, and they all want Savage's title. Luger continues saying that he would have torn Macho's arm out of socket, if not for the Stinger, before telling Hart that he's gonna do this alone tonight. Lex promises to reign supreme as Mean Gene sends it back to the ring. For our fifth match... Sinjiro Otani with Sonny Ono versus Eddie Guerrero in a World Cup matchup. And the graphics people misspell Otani as Utani. Utani! Dusty puts over Eddie as the pound for pound uh, one of the best in the game. I thought it was kind of uh, interesting considering we really have not seen 
Eddie in WC, much in WCW. I mean, granted, he's been on Nitros, I'd imagine, but yeah. and as yeah. far as pay per views, only the second one. No. Yeah, it's it's fun watching him from the beginning. Yeah, take it's take part of the, the fun of this stage. show. Yeah, yeah, it's the whole reason we do it. It's like I said, it's a book club, but we record it. Shinjiro keeps taking Eddie down by the hair and locking him in holds. When Guerrero would nail a monkey flip and a head scissors takedown to send Otani out to the floor to regroup. Eddie hits a drop kick, a body slam, and a slingshot senton before applying a Boston Crab, which Shinjiro reaches the ropes to break. Guerrero keeps up the attack with a power bomb and a brain buster for a two count, followed by a corner clothesline. Eddie then whips Otani to the corner for a flare flip out to the apron, where he comes back in with a springboard dropkick that sends Guerrero out to the floor. Shinjiro then springboards off the ropes with a crossbody out onto Eddie, before rolling back in to deliver another dropkick. Otani continues with chokes, chin locks, and sleepers, which Eddie escapes to nail a Saito suplex for a near fall. Guerrero goes for another suplex, but Sinjiro reverses it into a bridging German for a two-count, followed by a springboard wheel kick. Otani hits a body slam and heads up top, only for Eddie to meet him there for a super Frankensteiner for a near fall. And we're uh, really doing it, folks. Guerrero then drops Shinjiro with a splash mountain bomb for a two-count. And the two men start trading waist locks when Otani takes Eddie down into a leg grapevine. But Guerrero reaches the ropes to break the hold. Shinjiro charges at Eddie only for him to low bridge, sending Otani flying out to the floor. Guerrero then follows out to send Shinjiro into the guardrail and body slam him on the concrete before delivering a springboard crossbody as well. Eddie rolls Otani back in but he decides he wants to suplex him back to the floor from the apron. Only for Shinjiro to reverse, bringing Guerrero into the ring with a vertical suplex of his own. A springboard dropkick to the back of Eddie's head by Otani, which also ended up busting Shinjiro's nose open as he landed face first on the mat. (laughs) Shinjiro, he's kind of got like one speed, and it is, uh, you know, pedal to the metal. He follows that up with a dragon suplex attempt, which Guerrero escapes with a back elbow. Eddie goes for a hurricanrana, only for Shinjiro to roll on top for a two. Guerrero then rolls back on top with a jackknife pin for a near fall. But Otani then rolls back over on top again for the pin and and the win. So New Japan's back up three to two. I mean, they've they've got the... uh... You know, we have our quibbles with a couple of the match finishes or how we maybe thought it should have went. But the, you know, New Japan winning two, WCW winning one, New Japan winning one. It's like, you're doing you're doing all that right. Yep. That's how it's got to be. Yep. We go to the back mean jeans there with Randy Savage. And Oakland says it's now on Macho and Sting to win before bringing up the triangle match. But Savage doesn't want to discuss that. He's not talking. It's still maybe my favorite promo outside of all time outside of New Jack cutting a promo on white people is just Macho saying, 
I'm not, not talk talking. over and over again. I we I obviously because we bring it up all the time. Yep. But every time we do, it truly brings me so much joy. We haven't had this gimmick in a while, but it's our next T-shirt, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Macho goes on about how he likes being the underdog, singing the praises of the Stinger and Luger, before saying he's going to infinity and beyond. And breaking through to the other side. Oh, did, did Toy Story came out earlier this year, right? Yes. I was like, I was trying to think. I was like, Just we talked two about weeks it. Before, right? I think. Yeah. So he must have. Uh, I find it hard to believe that Macho Man went and saw Toy Story, <laughs> but it's probably in the commercials. He loves Tom Hanks, man. Yeah, I mean, the, the, he does the, the world. Actually, I feel like he's probably more of a Tim Allen guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would say most wrestlers probably are more Tim Allen guys. Savage appears to be done, but Mean Gene says he has talked to Hulk on the phone. So Macho asks what he said, with Oakland saying he inquired about Savage's state of mind. And Macho says, tell him I'm in the zone! He knows what the zone's all about! Before claiming he's done, because he can't say another word. (laughs) Macho then walks off as Mean Gene's wrapping up, but he returns to add, oh yeah! You gotta give the people what they want. Damn right. He tried that Infinity Beyond thing. He was like, no, I've gotta just, oh yeah. yeah. Less is more. So we go to our sixth match Hiroshi Tenzan with Sonny Ono versus Macho Man Randy Savage in a World Cup matchup. And Tenzan is on the rise in uh, New Japan as he ends up being a staple, but it's the first time we've seen him, right? It is not. It's the first time we've seen him in the mask, maybe? The mask, yes. Yeah, so like he's all he's gimmicked up. So the last time we saw Hiroyoshi was at Battle Seven, which was the January fourth show of ninety-five, episode one forty. And the graphics people strike again with misspelling. I noticed that. But if you noticed his jacket that he was wearing, it had his shoot name on it. Ah. It, it did not even ha- he did not even have Tinzon on, on his jacket. Yeah, that's funny. Say. It was a shoot name. I don't remember. I don't remember what his name is. A Japanese, um, um, Japanese man's name. I'm like, I don't know. So the two grapple their way around the ring until the ref separates them. So Tenzong goes to work with chops, kicks, clubbing forearms, and clotheslines. Macho retaliates by ramming Hiroyoshi into a turnbuckle, but Tenzong shakes it off like he's a Samoan. He does have a big-ass head. Tenzong's got a fucking melon, big old square head to this day. Love seeing just that big gold on Macho Man as he walks out. It looks so good on him. And uh, it really warmed the cockles of my heart. Here Yoshi keeps up the attack with chokes, nerve holds, elbows, but a rake of the eyes slows the momentum momentarily as Tenzong comes right back with a spinning wheel kick. Headbutts, Mongolian chops, and elbows send Savage rolling out to the floor. Only for Hiroyoshi to follow out, ramming his head against the ring post. Posted. And a not-so-rubber-band slam across the guardrail. Uh, they inform us that Tenzon recently uh, pinned uh, the Great Muda in Japan. So, you know, that's how you know that uh, New he's Japan is on, on the rise if uh, they're letting him pin Muda clean. Back in the ring, Tenzon hits a Samoan drop and a flying headbutt before going up top for a moonsault which Macho moves to avoid. Savage hits a clothesline that sends Hiroyoshi out to the apron, and he tries to go for a suplex, but can't fully lift him over, 
So Tim's on is rubber band slammed. A real gut buster. Can you imagine Tim's on doing a moonsault today? No. I've only seen him as like the dad wrestler outside he of. He still actually wrestles today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's one of the like the old guys in multi-man matches, but way ra- way more rarely in the last couple of years than yeah. previously. He's. Uh... He should probably retire. I gotta look him up. See what he looks like today. He still wears that damn he mask. Looks pretty much the exactly the same. Yeah, just uh, a little bit more weight on him and uh, a little more jowly. So Macho Man goes up top, coming off with the savage elbow for the pin and, and the win. win. So we're all tied up at three again. It's gonna come down to that last match, guys. Yeah, Tenzon does get that leg up, like right at the end of the three. Our commentators talking about the remaining matches and. Heenan's facing the wrong direction, and when Tony lets him know, Bobby ends up fumbling and dropping everything while trying to turn, which causes everyone to laugh. Yeah, it's like Bobby made a mistake and then played into it. (laughs) Mean Gene's in the back laughing as well before saying there's a gigantic meltdown happening, and it's not in WCW. Call the hotline. Okerlund brings up the Tide World Cup, but that Ric Flair who joins him now is sitting back and watching. The Nature Boy calls the World Cup a great conception, but the WCW World Heavyweight Championship is the most coveted trophy in all of sports. And I agree with you, sir. Yeah, of course. Trophy's Cause you, cool. Because you remember a few, year, uh, a few years ago, they were like, Sting, Sting got his battle bowl, and he's like, oh yeah, the battle bowl. I don't, I don't want the world title. I want the Battle Bowl right. ring. Give me that ring. Yeah, and this trophy is for like all of WCW. It's not like for one guy or whatever. Yeah. All Flair, of WCW and the world. And the win, yeah. Flair promises to style and profile before telling Sting and Luger they have to beat the man to be the man. Classic Flair. Woo! I, I love it. He says, I'll be fresh. Dolly Parton to my left. Some other lady to my right. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't think of a of another person, but he's like Dolly Parton. Yeah, so so fun. And I would love a reproduction of a Gold's Gym T-shirt that he was wearing. He's wearing like a just like a purple shirt. I guess maybe Rick owned a Gold's yeah, Gym or something. Yeah, it was his gym. Yeah, yeah, but it says Rick Flair's Gold's Gym, and then it has the Gold's Gym logo. I'm like that's a it's a real real nice T-shirt. So we get our seventh match: Kenzuke Sasaki. With Sonny Ono versus Sting in a World Cup matchup. Kanzuke is the WCW US heavyweight champion, but the title is not on the line. I mean, in a tournament, typically that's the, yeah. that's yeah. the way it goes. Yeah. Uh, I do think it's funny that, you know, it makes sense, but they made Sting and Lex work, and then Rick just works the last match, but then you got. You know, Rick, always the heel in a freshly uh, version what point oh of uh, the Four Horsemen. He's got a couple of weathered men later. Well, it also tells you about the depth of WCW at this point. Good point. Who else would you put in there? Who else you DDP, got? Ming. D- yeah. Giant. Yeah, DDP and Ming, basically. The Giant, mm. they probably sent back to the power plant on weekdays. Sasaki attacks right as the bell rings, clubbing the stinger and ramming him into multiple turnbuckles before wearing him down with a chin lock. Sting fights back with chops, forearms, and a stinger splash 
He tries for a second one, only for Kanzuke to move and deliver a face buster. Suzaki keeps up the attack with several clotheslines, till Sting ducks one to hit a dropkick and a clothesline that sends Kanzuke over the ropes to the floor. Stinger then pulls Suzaki up to the apron to try for a suplex, only for Kanzuke to float over and nail a power slam before delivering a Northern Lights Brain Buster. But he doesn't make the cover, instead gloating to I know. the crowd. And I must say, maybe one of the best looking Brain Busters I've ever seen. Well, the Northern Lights, anything. Yeah, but it was yeah, but he it just really nailed it because sometimes the brain buster just looks like a stalling suplex. But I understand it's pretty dangerous to drop somebody on their head. Suzaki begins to work over Sting with different holds, including a Scorpion Deathlock. But Sting powers out to escape. Kanzuke continues to attack the leg before trying for a running power slam, only for the Stinger to wiggle out the back. Nailing Suzaki with a clothesline and a face buster of his own. Sting applies the Scorpion Deathlock in the middle of the ring, forcing Kazuke to submit for the win. And WCW wins the World <laughs> Cup four to three. Woo. Sorry, Sting. You still did you get your belt back? Did you pop for the Dragon Screw? I popped for a Dragon Screw. I don't know why, but probably just because I was, you know. Who doesn't love a dragon screw? I love it. I just always think of uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi every time I see a dragon screw. Post-match, Savage, Guerrero, Benoit, Wright, Bad, and Luger all join the Stinger in celebration. Mean Gene also joins him in the ring to present the trophy, which he says he wants filled with champagne for him. Which, get drunk. I love that uh, Chris is like the last one to the ring, and he kind of stays away from the, like, he's not really, like, cheering or smiling like everybody else is because he's the only like heel in the ring and I'm like hell yeah Chris eh, Luger's a heel we don't know what Luger he is but but he's you know, friends with Sting he's friends with Sting yeah, yeah. so Ogerlin mentions Ogerlin mentions that Sting still has work to do which he agrees but he does have one thing to say USA so I guess he didn't want him to root for Benoit or Wright <laughs> And then Lex and Stinger raise the cup together in the high up in the air. I mean, those are the guys that should be lifting it. Because we've got uh, some, some uh, a big match coming up. What, what might happen between the two men? So our commentators recap the World Cup. And Heenan looks disappointed, asking if he has to give back his Lexus. Because, you know, he sold half of WCW Pro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tony then sends us to a video package about what led to the triangle match. Macho Man became champion at World War III by being the last man in the ring. Or was he? A replay error prevented them from knowing for sure. Except for that we all watched it and we know the truth. Can you imagine? I mean, that's the benefit of no streaming at the time, I guess. But it'd be really funny if instead of Hogan going nuts... Someone just repaid for the replay of the (laughs) pay-per-view? No, but like if instead of uh, Hogan, so I can guarantee that they like did this whole tampering thing, and then like five seconds later they were like, "Hey, everybody, check out the pay per view on replay tomorrow yeah. night." Yeah, but we're not gonna be able to see the finish. I would have, I would have loved if instead of Hogan going berserk or whatever, he like turns heel by getting caught 
like they just walk into a room. He's got scissors out and he's like cutting cutting the tape. So <laughs> the narrator continues by saying Luger is on a quest for the title, but calls his actions bizarre before questioning Sting's loyalty, with even Hogan wanting to know what side the Stinger is on. Flair has an advantage because he's the fresh man, and in the triangle match, a coin toss will determine who starts, but anyone can tag in at any time. Backslap tags, the uh, coin toss must happen off screen. (laughs) So we go to our eighth match, Lex Luger. Versus the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Versus Sting in a triangle match to be the number one contender for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. And the winner of this match will face Macho Man just moments after the match is over. Pretty wild. Also, uh, not. This is. Keep in mind, no Jimmy Hart. Lex uh, doesn't have his heel manager. He said he's going to do it by himself. He's trying to, you know, do it the uh, right way. Yep. So Sting and Nate start us off with a press slam, a clothesline for two count. Then the Stinger goes for the Scorpion Deathlock, only for Flair to immediately get to the ropes. He's trying to finish it early, guys. I mean, he's probably a little sleepy. A little, a little worn. Back in, the Nature Boy's working over Sting with arm locks, and he starts to chop away until the Stinger fires up to absorb them. He hits a hip toss, a drop kick, and press slams Nate once again. Mounted punches in the corner, and a face buster sends Flair to the floor to regroup. Only for Sting to follow out, where the Nature Boy sends him into a guardrail. But Stinger bounces out with a clothesline. Nate tries for more chops and another whip into the guardrail, only to be no-sold. So Flair retreats back into the ring. Sting with a hip toss, and he goes for a drop kick, only for the Nature Boy to sidestep it. Nature then taunts Luger to cause a distraction, allowing him to attack the Stinger's leg, before tossing him out to the floor, where Flair runs Sting into the guardrail and delivers some right hands. A rolling knee drop is followed by several pinning attempts, all for twos, before hitting a vertical suplex, which the Stinger no-sells and rallies for a press slam and a superplex, making the cover only for Lex to break up the count. I love that Sting and Ric Flair just always equals press slam city. Like ever since Nitro, Sting has just been press slamming the the first Nitro. Sting, anytime he gets anywhere near Ric Flair, just press slams the shit out of him. Sting questions what he's doing, but this allows the Nature Boy to hit a jumping knee to send him into Luger which the ref counts as a tag. Lex then puts Nate on the run again, down the aisleway, only for Luger to follow, pick him up, and bring him back to the ring. Bad, bad Ric Flair. Flair gets a cheap shot in, and he goes for several shoulder tackles, only for Lex to absorb and press slam the Nature Boy down as well. Nate takes some more mounted punches in the corner for a Flair flop, followed by an elbow drop for an air fall. The Nature Boy then rakes the eyes before starting to work on Luger's leg, even hitting it with a chair, even though the ref is literally looking right at him. (laughs) Nate locks on the figure four, sometimes even using leverage to get multiple two counts, but then he starts to slap Lex, which wakes him up, 
allowing him to turn the move over to break the hold. I mean, you can't you can't be slapping the bigger guy. No, it's gonna piss him off. Don't slap a juice head. <laughs> Flair rolls out to the apron to regroup, only for Luger to bring him back in with a vertical suplex for a near fall. The Nature Boy goes up top, where Lex meets him to press slam him off to the middle of the ring. Hey, it's Lex's turn to do the press slam. But Nate starts chopping and punch away, with Luger no selling. So Flair just had enough. And he tags Sting in. <laughs> you guys figured this out. The two men then have a feeling out process before going to a test of strength. That's what you do with your friends. You gotta know who's stronger. But and Lex kicks the Stinger to take control. They shake hands before. Before they start fighting and uh, the crowd gives us some cheers and jeers. We got some uh, mixed feelings about the... Handshake, and they let us know that uh, Sting and Lex last fought at Super Brawl 2, and that Sting beat Lex to win the heavyweight title. Just a little bit of context for the boys in the ring. Luger then rams Sting into multiple turnbuckles until he tries one too many times, where the Stinger blocks and does the same to Lex, before delivering mounted punches in the corner, only for Luger to counter with an atomic drop, which is blocked followed by Sting nailing several more clotheslines. Lex comes back with shoulder blocks, and he charges into the corner, only to receive a big boot, followed by the Stinger sending Luger to another corner, where he charges out again, but with a clothesline. Lex hits a rubber band slam, some chokes and kicks to send Sting out to the floor, where he follows out with a double axe handle off the apron, only for the Stinger to catch him in the gut. Back in the ring, Sting comes off the top with a crossbody for a two-count. Hits a body slam and goes for a pump splash, but Luger gets his knees up. Lex starts dropping multiple elbows from multiple near falls. He goes for a kick, but it's caught, allowing the Stinger to hit a big boot, right hands, and he goes for the Scorpion Deathlock. Only for Luger to grab the ropes to block, but he does low-blow Sting before the hold is released. That's not what friends do. Lex continues with an inverted atomic drop, and he goes for a slam, only for the Stinger to roll up Luger for a two-count. Sting's tossed the ropes, but he comes back with a sunset flip for a near fall. Lex tries for another suplex, but the Stinger blocks and reverses it into one of his own, followed by another face buster. We get a Stinger splash... And he goes for a second one, only for Luger to move in time, allowing Lex to apply the torture rack, where Sting's boot ends up knocking the ref down. Ref bump. Flair comes in with a chop block to the back of Luger's leg, causing him to roll out to the floor, followed by tossing the stinger out as well. The nature boy then revives the ref and tells him to start the count. Sting almost enters back into the ring at nine, but Lex grabs his leg at the last second, Ten. causing a double countout, making Ric Flair your number one contender. It is a great heel win for Rick. And then the friendship angle, like, you know, they got, it got a little heated because they had to hit each other. So it makes sense. We always are all bummed about a countout, but puts more heat on... Rick and then exacerbates the uh, the will they won't they 
of Lex and Sting. Post-match, Luger claims he was just grabbing at Sting for help, saying his knee is hurt, but the Stinger doesn't buy it, just looking at Lex disappointed. Aw. It's like, yeah, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. It's like, ah, my heart. Heartbroken Sting. Hate to see it. Breaks my heart. All of a sudden, Jimmy Hart makes his way, way down to the rink, completely ignoring Luger. Oh my gosh. And going to talk to Nate. Uh, oh. And we go to our commentators who talk the history between Flair and Savage as they faced each other quite a few times. Ric Flair hitting Angelo Poffo, um, what, maybe a year ago? I think it was earlier than the year at Bash for the Oh, Beach. was it? Okay, yeah. So, yeah. In the, in the summer? Yeah. And the brain believes that Nate will take the title for the 12th time. Well, let's find out. In our ninth match, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, with Jimmy Hart, versus Macho Man Randy Savage for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. There's no break. Ric Flair's still in the ring. He's just got a new manager, question mark, and Jimmy Hart in his corner. He does get a long enough break for Michael Buffer to make some introductions. So let's get ready to... Oh, yeah! Macho surprises Nate with a backslide for a two-count to begin before they trade chops and punches. All of a sudden, Paul Orndorff has walked out and he's wearing a neck brace. He's just staring at the ring. He's wearing like a neck brace and a long sleeve polo. Just looking like a dad in a neck brace. <laughs> so the story behind this is that Brian Pillman had become a loose cannon. See, Pissing I... everybody off, including the Dungeon of Doom and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. He's being, uh, he's, he's being a little Bart Simpson. Just, uh, just getting, in, uh, getting in everyone's shit. So this is also the reason why Kevin Sullivan interfered in Benoit's match. Pillman's mm-hmm. not on the card. There's another person that could have been on this card. Would have been great. But Sullivan interferes in was. Benoit's match because they're both horsemen. Yeah. So there's, that's the reason why Sullivan did that. But the reason Orndorff is out here is that at one incident included the horseman spike pile-driving... Mr. Wonderful, onto concrete. Ugh. What? And this will be the last time no. we see Mr. Wonderful. So they actually break his neck? No, he was just, he was calling it quits and they did an injury angle to yeah. basically write him off. That checks out. I mean, we love Paul. It's had to see him go. We never saw peak Paul as uh, he was a bigger star in the like Madison Square Garden era of WWF. But the man never really lost a step, as far as I'm concerned, with character work. And he's just all around. Adaptability. Good. Yeah, he's, he's just a, a great. When you um, go from Madison Square Garden with Hogan to... Shovels with Cactus Jack. And and yeah. <laughs> and nobody ever stops calling you Paula. Nobody forgot. Mm-hmm. Also, never knew that they called him the loose cannon in WCW. I mean, I may have just added that. No, they said show. it. I, I have it in my oh, notes. Did they? they call him a loose cannon multiple times. Uh, uh, but the first time is what you just... Uh, when you, when Orndorff comes out and they bring it up. And uh, I didn't realize that that carried over. 
I just thought that was strictly a WWF like coat of paint. Back to the match. Savage goes for mounted punches, but Flair counters into an atomic drop and goes for the figure four, only to be kicked away. Macho with a turnbuckle smash and a whip to the corner for a flare flip out to the floor. Following out with from the top rope with a double axe handle. Only for the nature boy to catch him in the gut before ramming Savage into a guardrail. Nate starts working the bad arm, running Macho into a ring post. Posted. Even Jimmy Hart gets involved at one point. Back in the ring, the arm work continues, even using leverage from the ropes. When Savage fires up with right hands, only for Flair to lock on a sleeper. Macho then breaks free to lay it in with right hands, a back body drop, and multiple clotheslines for a near fall. Hart jumps on the apron to distract the ref, while Savage is climbing to the top rope, where he comes off with another double axe handle attempt, only for Nature Boy to be back on his feet to punch him on his way down. Jimmy then tosses his megaphone into the ring to Nate. He goes to use it, only for Macho to kick it away before picking it up and clocking Flair with it to bust him open. Ah, Ric Flair juice. Savage goes up top again, hitting the top rope elbow, but the ref is still distracted. He's got the visual pin. Brian Pillman runs down and jumps onto the turnbuckle, only for Macho to press slam him off into Chris Benoit, who has just run into the ring as well. Savage goes after Pillman when Arn makes his way into the ring, laying out Macho with a brass knuckles, allowing Flair to make the cover for the pin and, and the win. win. And new! A very bloody Ric Flair. That's our Flair. The crowd is pumped for a Ric Flair win, even though he did it. As dirty as he possibly could. You got you got Flair and Savage for the belt. You got to have a bloody Flair. Oh yeah, I'd say anytime Flair is in the last match, there should be blood, especially if it's one on one. Flair in like arcade, he... blood. Please and thank you. <laughs> Post match, Flying Brian is going nuts, spitting at the camera, whipping Savage with the belt. He's and... really uh, pretty into this character yeah. this new loose cannon so tony says that mean gene was going to interview the nature boy but he needs medical attention it's probably too deep of a blade he uh he went further than bret hart in our previous uh show last week heenan's laughing saying nate went out there and did it and shivani congratulates wcw on winning the world cup before plugging hogan's return in 1996 he then says his goodbyes as the brain is talking about partying through the night as we go to credits. So, one little fun rumor note here. Flair didn't know about the blade job. Okay. As supposedly, Macho just... Macho's the one that cut him. <laughs> oh! No wonder it was deep. And he was probably pissed. Because you don't cut people, you let them cut themselves. So I was like, this, That's might, dirty. this might have also been the reason why no one really stopped Pillman at the end whipping. Because like they, they were just kind of like, yeah, dude, just do whatever you want. Like They didn't kind of call him off. Yeah, that's like, point. I mean, we love Randy, but that is not cool. Like I said, rumor. Rumor. 
innuendo. Who yeah. knows if it's true? Just throwing it out there. It's it's, it's one of the fun things about wrestling yeah. is the rumor and innuendo. But that is not cool. No. I mean, that's like some Abby shit. Like if he had done it himself, I would say that they saw the in your house match and were like, okay, well let's do let's do blood as well. Yeah, we we don't have an issue with. But it's blood. very obvious that Savage is the one that's like on top of him and he cuts it. Oh, uh, I'll have to go back and watch that. I did not catch it when I was watching the show initially. Yeah. I just figured, oh, Ric Flair yeah. bleeds. Flair bleeding. Yeah. yeah. Woo! His hair's fucking bleach blonde for a reason. <laughs> so I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Starcade nineteen ninety five? And before you say anything, I wanna go first. Go ahead. Cat. I'm of two minds on this show. The crowd does not help the show at all, as they don't know who the Japanese wrestlers are, as they were only ever featured on WCW's third show. They were never on Nitro, they were never on Saturday Night, they were just on WCW Pro. But me being me, and I think this is how you guys feel as well, we love all of these Japanese guys almost as much as we love these WCW guys. Well, you know, I'm a, you got an Otani fan in me. My only complaint is actually the triangle main event match, which were the only matches that this crowd was into. So saying all that, I would say that this event is solid, but nothing stands out as a must-watch. I would say that it is a very nice show, and that... It doesn't reach the highs of, say, like G1-style match tournaments. This is like what we called an American Best of the Super Junior, American G1 match. This is American G1-style matches, but even more American. Mm-hmm. Like, But this was not a hard watch. There's no Hogan and none of Hogan's pals. There's no, what like outside of Jimmy Hart, but there's no hacksaw. Or fucking, what's his face? Zodiac. No Zodiac. Even even though he's not, you know, he's a Hogan friend, even though right now he's a heel, but you know what I mean. Like Hogan's, like, guys that he kind of brought over with him, they're not here. And because of that, we get what I think is a really good wrestling show. And why it might not be a must-watch, I would say that it is a should-watch if you like wrestling if you have any interest in japanese I mean, wrestling if you have the crowd and dusty i should i should mention because i yeah matt doesn't like dusty D- dusty's comments like you guys didn't even mention it but like he's all over it he's like german suplex like why is it from germany yeah. it's just a suplex when it's he's like, when he's fun he's fun but it, it was it got annoying yeah. after a while so dusty is was my my he's least favorite list. he was my least favorite thing of this entire show it was just one of those, like, every match is solid, but the crowd just not being, like, if the crowd had been into any of these matches, it would have taken the show to another level. The only time they are excited is, like, like for the tournament matches is Lex, because we're down. I WCW mean, is down in They're happy points. for the Lex, the Macho, and the Sting. And they match. want to chant USA. That's, yeah. That's but the- as far as, like, getting into a, like... 
wrestling match. Like, because a lot of these are, are people we paid to see. A lot of these are booked pretty well. Like Macho Man works from underneath against Tenzon the whole time. I mean, we and then we wins talk, on like we, a we talked about the, type of win. We talked about the two matches that we would kind of flip how they were done. Other than that, that's, Lex has to win because he. That has is match really the only. The only complaint about the World Cup matches. Yeah, I think that they're all uh, worked well, and none of these guys had any like crazy mistakes in the ring against each other. Considering yeah. they probably haven't. I mean, had the a worst mistake is Liger. Yeah, and out of everybody, who who do you expect not to have a mistake? Is Liger. And Liger, and which it's also crazy because Liger and Benoit have the most Chemistry. amount of time in ring probably against each other. But I mean, I think the show is so much better and more solid than a lot of WCW shows. I mean, it's probably still the one of the best Starcades we've ever watched. I would probably, yeah, match for match, I would say absolutely. But, like, what do you expect? You didn't do the work to put the put the Japanese talent over. Exactly. Like, you could, recently Forbidden Door happened, and people were like, oh, well, the build kind of stinks, but it didn't matter when everybody, when all the fans showed up, because all the fans showed up, and they knew who these guys were, and they made the show. Exactly. The build was trash, like, but the matches, literally, the guys delivered, and the I'm, fans had the opportunity to see the guys watch I watched Japanese this wrestling show, on the internet. I watched this show at the same time I was watching Forbidden Door, and it was just like this extreme comparison. It, it's <laughs> it's the same kind of show. Yeah. It's exactly the same kind of show. and More singles matches here, obviously. Obviously, but... But, but you know what... Yeah, as far as like interpromotion. Fan reaction. Yeah. The fan reaction for the Japanese people on Forbidden Door is just over the top. And it, it mostly makes... has to do with the fact that the internet exists and they are and I mean, hardcore I, wrestling I understand, fans. I yeah. understand mm-hmm. why. Yes. But at the same time, as I said, if you're only you're only putting these guys over on your third show, yeah. you're never saying anything. Like, Liger showing up on the Nitro, the first Nitro... Uh, is literally the only one of these people was that was on ever on Nitro, and yeah. up to this point, where they should have had you know tag matches with like with like faces that were uh, faces from New Japan that were going to be on this. Show. I mean, at least put them on Saturday night because Saturday night was a taped show. Nitro yeah. was a live show. I yeah. understand not bringing these guys over for one show on a Nitro, but not but the Sunday. Tape show. some shows on Saturday night, and then throw those highlights into Nitro. To introduce these guys and then show the whole match on Saturday nights. Yeah, and also New Japan will give you probably a highlight reel of these guys doing devastating moves to other people. Exactly. They even have de- them doing devastating oh, yeah. moves to people from Very WCW. I mean, just put a bunch of the best of the Super Junior like and G1. Deals. I mean, Ric Flair was in the G1 Climax. Benoit, Wright, Pillman were all in the best of Super Juniors. Mm-hmm. Just put a bunch of highlights of these guys facing those the, yeah. them. Like, and it, it'll at least help some fan engagement. But the show, I think, is very good. The fan engagement is a thing. It didn't bother me so much because I was pretty into it just as a fan of the wrestlers. But I'd say it's, you should watch it. Plus, Ric Flair wins the belt. You know, who doesn't want to see Ric Flair win the belt? Like I said, solid. Nothing stands out as must-watch. Yep. I agree with that. Good, Where, where's the smart marks at? Alright, fuck you. Think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? I love it when Otani gets pissed. <laughs> so, But I'm, that's just coming from a, a fanboy. When uh, he starts kicking the shit out of people, I get, I get excited. That's my favorite match of the show. 
Otani and Guerrero. Yeah, but like it, it's they've faced each other before as well, so we knew they. That's what I was wondering yeah. as I was watching that is how many times have these guys actually? Gone I mean, we've probably seen them face each other at least twice just in our watching because yeah. he was Black Tiger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I mean that pin sequence at the very end of that match where they're just rolling back on top back and forth on top of each other and the finish was very Japanese tournament win yeah the, the, the like roll 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 and it's like ah fuck yep you thought maybe that they would get up and exchange some more moves but nope you just got the better of them yeah that one for me was the hidden gem of the show cause I didn't know it was gonna be happening on it yeah, I'd um, say it was. It beat like you would when it started. I was like, "Oh, so Benoit Liger's gonna be the best match of the show," and then Guerrero and Otani. Yep, they eked it out. I wouldn't say they eked it out. They were it was a much better match. Even though don't like how they finished the match, and it's more just because we don't think Chono should take the torture rack. It is cool that Masahiro was willing to. To take the torture rack. Yeah. To see Lex get a guy up the size of Masahiro Chono and into is, the torture rack. Yeah, and is like, you know, important to New Japan, who's pulling way bigger numbers at this point in time than WCW is. Like, 8,000 people uh, is, you know, yeah, Masahiro Chono is headlining, you know, the Tokyo Dome, or in and around this time. Kimberly's Geisha Girl line. That was good. Yeah, Kimberly. I was happy to see yeah, Kimberly, just Kimberly just be positive. Was fun. Yeah, just have her with a fresh coat of paint on her and just doing the cheerleader thing, but not in like an annoying way. She's just like you know breaking breaking loose a little bit after her uh, oppressive relationship with the diamond. I like really like that the heel way in which Ric Flair won, and it just really puts over. The nastiness and fuck you of the four horsemen. This was a nasty free show, sir. <laughs> it was a nasty free show. <laughs> Except for, uh, you know, I would say the nasty award would go to Macho Man Randy Savage if he truly, yeah. you know, took the blade into his own hands. Which is a psycho mm-hmm. move, by the way. I mean, I guess, even though it's a sad moment, getting to see the final appearance... Of Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, I didn't know that was the Unexpected. I guess that could fall into the most surprising, because, yeah, I wasn't expecting that to happen yet. I mean... He probably decided... Yeah, he's older, so he was probably going to be cutting loose or cutting himself free within the next couple years, but, yeah. He had a couple of really great matches in these early 90s WCW, where, like, he was a pretty, like, solid mid-card with great performances, or upper mid card with great performances, so you know that's not all bad. But I mean, after he had to talk into the mirror with the guy with the white afro, he was probably like, you know what, I'm out because that shit sucks. Poor Paul, wonderful, that was dumb, and I don't know if they ever continued it. And it was on a pay per view of all things. It wasn't. I can't ever forget it because I think of it a lot. Did but we ever look up to see if, what the payoff was on that? I don't know that there was one. <laughs> Paul was probably like, you know what, fuck it, I'm no thank you. Just have him pile bomb me, I'm out. Or, I mean, pile driving on the concrete. How about most disappointing? It was sad that Liger didn't get that Hurricanrana in the first match. Yeah, kind of um, similar to a recent show we watched where it was like my favorite match, but then the finish was... Yeah. Wasn't I right. mean, Macho not getting the suplex on Tenzon 
So they, I mean, they they worked they worked around both those things. It's not like yeah, they weren't. I mean, they're only noticeable because we're wrestling fans. We're paying attention, yeah. making sure of what's going on. You know, um, the booing of the fans to Liger in that first match. <laughs> I got under your skin, didn't it? It did. Yeah, you don't, fans are idiots. You yeah. don't boo Liger. <laughs> Unless he gives you a full-on reason to boo, I, he's especially like I guess I've never seen him where he's giving me a reason to boo. So the even tr- his heel moments, I think, are less like or less of a boo thing and more of like he's like had enough and is like breaking down and like has a freak out. Yeah. The triangle match for me, it went for like twenty-seven, twenty-eight minutes, something like that. Yeah, and it should have been eighteen. And minutes. they didn't do anything. Fun in the match, really. It wasn't fun, and like, then it had a disappointing like, finish. That it was made literally sense. it was Sting versus Flair, and then Sting tags out. So it's Flair versus Luger, and then Flair tags out, and so then it's Sting. Like it was never a triangle match. It was basically just three singles matches that was all wrestled within the same match. Yeah. Yeah. With. And I actually, I mean, the one thing I do like the finish. I like the finish too. It just if it happened quicker. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because it's like uh, the finish makes total sense. I mean, I think it would have made more sense to, especially for Sting and Luger, to be tagging out more often because they have wrestled earlier in the night. Yeah, and I then, mean, and I know then, you, I know, Rick... I know. In this style of match, you want to be in the ring because that's the only way you can win. Yeah, but it was just very. But well, then you could also have Rick trying to get the tag the whole time, stuck in the corner. Kind of, I think it would be more helpful in the like. Escalation of drama. Yeah. And actually, I mean, the main event, the championship match, I know I said that I didn't love it, but actually it, it was a good match. It yeah. was just, you know, both both Macho and Flair had already worked a match in the night, so it was definitely a slower version of something that they probably could have put together. Yeah, yeah. and it, there's a good excuse with the fact that and like oh it's Savage a- Savage's arm is actually actually is hurt. That is the reason why they they had to get the belt off of Hogan and they won the pop of Savage winning at World War Three. But his arm really was hurt, so like literally, they knew they had to turn around and get the belt back off of it. Yeah, him. and what who's better to put it on right now than Ric Flair the leader of a new iteration of the Horsemen, exactly, and they did it in great all fashion fails, as far as as like you know Flair looking. He's an even bigger heel after tonight with all of the uh, Horsemen coming out and all mm-hmm. of them. Though that segment where Pillman comes in and then uh, Benoit and, ben, and Benoit gets like uh, like they press slam. Pillman onto Benoit and then Arn slides right in. It's like all done perfectly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How about best performer of the night? That's hard. I think it's Sinjiro Utani. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've, I always want to pick Otani just because I like him so much. But he also has the best match of the night, yeah. so I would, I would gladly give it to him. But I don't think there's any bad performance. I would give it to Eddie, but his interview was bad. <laughs> yeah. I'd give it to Otani. Because, I mean, yeah, every, nobody has a bad outing. Everybody's doing fun. good work. Yeah. I mean, everyone does their job well here. That's that's the thing. How about most surprising? Dusty on the mic, I wasn't expecting, <laughs> even though I know it was oh, a I guess problem. we should go back to most disappointing. Mean, yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. 
So the there's some of the losses like the Chono loss. I mean, we talked about stuff, that a little like, bit. Yeah, I but mean, like they definitely could have made a better decision. I mean, the audience. I don't even. The know thing is, it it doesn't surprise me. It's just a little disappointing. It's that is disappointing to me. Just because, because WCW didn't put in the work. Yeah, and I, and I blame WCW more than I do the, work, the fans. Neither did their fans. Yeah. You don't know the guy? Oh well, but watch the damn match. Is it interesting? Cool. Cheer. So make noise. Also, something that was very surprising was after the broadcast, they held a dark match. And it was Kenzuke Sasaki versus one man gang for the United States Heavyweight Championship. One man gang won the United States belt and I didn't know. Well they, they weren't sure if Suzaki was going to stay in America, basically. And originally, the match, what well, it was filmed and everything, for him to show. At the end of the match, one-man game would land a splash on Suzaki and cover him for the pin. But Suzaki would kick out, even though the ref would make a three count. Oh. After the bell, he celebrates, but then... Another official runs down, points out the mistake, and the match was restarted. And this time, Kanzuke pins Gang to retain the title. But basically, so they had the footage of both. Both. So if whichever would happen, I'm here to tell you, Kanzuke Sasaki does not stay. So one man Gang wow. is your new. United States heavyweight champion. Hilarious. God, one man gang. And new. <laughs> <laughs> right. And sure. Wow. I mean, way to way to hang in there, one man gang. I mean, you went from one man gang to Akeem to nothing and back to one man gang and finally earned yourself a title. Ah, uh, yeah. It's one wow. man gang. Did not know that was in the, uh, the history of the United States championship. OMG. <laughs> And now, for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Jimmy Snuka had held the ECW Championship for a couple of months when his former rival, Don Morocco, would make his way to Philadelphia to face him on September 30th, 1992. Don Morocco, born 1949, grew up in Hawaii becoming a state amateur wrestling champion. He would learn the ropes all along the West Coast when he would get his first big break, the AWA. In 1974, Morocco would face the NWA world champion Jack Briscoe, reversing his finishing move, making Don a new star in the eyes of the fans. After working through the territories, Morocco would debut in the WWF in 1981 capturing the Intercontinental Championship within months. A couple of years later, he would be in what would be his most famous match, when Snuka would leap off the top of a cage in Madison Square Garden onto Don. In his time in WWF, Morocco would win the first King of the Ring tournament, have feuds with Ricky Steamboat and Bob Orton, before saving superstar Billy Graham adopting his tie-dye attire and becoming The Rock. After leaving WWF, Don would make his way around the world again when ECW would make the call in 1992. 
For his accomplishments, Morocco has been inducted into the Professional Wrestling and WWE Hall of Fames. After becoming the fourth ECW champion, Don's next challenger would be a surfer who hadn't quite found himself yet. Exit line. <laughs> next week, Holiday Hell 1995. Holidays just don't quit, do they? ECW's Holiday in Hell, but where is it, Matt? It's got to be in Pennsylvania, probably. It's Queens, New York. Hey. They're making a trip outside the arena. They're on the road. The last time they were on the road, we went to, like, Florida. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a a nice little trip for the boys. Queens. Hmm. Music from this week's show is Gravel Sandwich by First Calm Music. And Ric Flair won our main event. So we play Spach Zarathustra by Strauss. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, recipes, drink ideas, just want to say hey. Email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's wrestling H I S T O X. We'll talk to you next week.